The Biblical Foundations Bible Study, online at biblicalfoundationsbiblestudy.com. Taught by Chris Martin, this course has been created to demonstrate the importance of biblical literacy in the 21st century. glad you're here this morning because as we continue our study in the life and times of Paul, we come to a great little lesson that is very timely because it's my personal opinion that the single greatest problem facing the church today is the topic that we're going to discuss. Divorce is bad. That's not the biggest problem facing the church. Uh, sexual sin is bad. It's not the biggest problem facing the church. Uh, apathy is a corollary issue, but not the single greatest problem facing the church. The single greatest problem facing the church, in my opinion, is a group of attendees at a church that don't know what their spiritual gift is, and more importantly, don't use their spiritual gift. As a result, you get very large churches that have tremendous numbers of people that will go to worship, but 80% of the people in worship at this church this weekend will not go to Bible study. There are a lot of churches that no longer even have Bible study, much less something to do with the exercise of their spiritual gifts. So it's, uh, I think we've got a great church. That's why I go here. I'm not saying that critical in any manner. It's just a reality of where we are in 2019, of people that just kind of get into a habit, and at best they're going to go to church and sit through a worship service and be either educated or inspired, and then go home and live life the way they've been living life. So we're tackling this issue this morning of the use of our spiritual gifts, and if you've got an outline, I'm going to go through why Paul is writing this and why we're going to cover this in the way that we're covering this. Because to start by way of background, we've got to look at the problem going on in Corinth, and it starts with an issue of the perception they had. Because remember, there's no Bible at the time Paul is writing this to them. They know the oral stories of Jesus Christ. They've got their Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, but otherwise they just know what they've heard or what they've seen. So what they've heard are the miracles of Jesus Christ. They've heard about Lazarus. They've heard about walking on the water. They've heard about healing the lepers or the blind or the deaf. With Paul, they have seen him and Peter do things very, very similar. They've seen them heal deafness and blindness. They've seen them raise, a, for in Paul's case, a child uh, from the dead. And uh, then you combine that with what they've heard of Pentecost in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came and suddenly people started speaking foreign languages that they did not know before. And so what happened by the time you get to Corinth and you've got believers who have been Christians for less than a year, at this point maybe two years, and they come from a deeply pagan background, it led to them bringing their pagan traditions and desire for supernatural and desire for things highly emotional uh, into uh, a, a situation that, that led to a very messed up church. And so what we've got is uh, this early church uh, misapplying what God wanted them to do with their spiritual gifts. I'll explain that a little bit more later. But what happened was Paul 
had been teaching them about spiritual gifts. We can tell what he taught from his other books that we're going to get to later on. But I want to show you what God's blueprint is that he would have taught this church and that he's emphasizing here. I gave you the cross reference of Romans 12 verses 4 through 6. And the passage says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And that passage continues. If he's got this gift, let him do this. If he has this gift, let him do that. The point here is that God gives us gifts. It's according to a gift that we don't deserve. It's his grace and him deciding what the gift is to us. And then we're supposed to use it. It's not just for us. It's supposed to use it. I also gave you the cross-reference of Ephesians 4.16. Ephesians 4.16 gives a little bit more insight. It says, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we're going to talk about this as we see him flesh this out in 1 Corinthians. But here it's clear that there's all kinds of different parts. And an ankle ligament is going to be different than the heart, which is going to be different than the nose, which is going to be different than the feet and all kinds of different things. And he's saying they all work together for the growth of the body. And it's got to build itself up in love. Now, we're going to have a whole chapter on this in 1 Corinthians because love is our key word that describes the focus of these gifts, which is other people. Nowhere in scripture does it validate a concept of self-love. We've got to have a good identity. We have to have a good self-image, but scripture does not validate doing things just to love yourself. Yes, we take care of our bodies for our health. We, we're supposed to have a good self-respect uh, and self-view uh, of ourselves, but everything we're supposed to do with gifts is for other people. It's not for us. So we're going to talk about and apply that in a couple of minutes. Now, with the church at Corinth, just like the church today, we got two big problems. Problem number one is non-use. In the church in Corinth, there were a bunch of believers that would just come to church, go home, and Paul has to teach them there are spiritual gifts, figure them out with God's help, and then use them because God gave you a gift to do something else. It would be very, very similar to think about who your most cherished memory is of someone who's already in heaven. For some of you, that's a parent. For some of you, that's like a grandparent. For some of you, that's a dear, dear, dear friend uh, from earlier in life. Imagine getting to heaven and that person saying to you, I gave you a Christmas gift and you put it under your bed. And you say, yeah, but I knew it was a gift. It was from you. It's all lovely and wrapped. And I cherished the fact that I had the gift. And the person in heaven would say, but you never opened it. You never enjoyed it. You never did what I wanted you to do with it. And there would be a degree of frustration and regret if we got a gift from someone that is our most cherished person who's already in heaven and we just stuck it under the bed. That's the issue with non-use with our spiritual gifts of people having a gift from God and doing the equivalent of putting it under the bed and just feeling happy that God gave him a gift but never wanting to open it and see what it is. The second problem was one of abuse. In their church, they had a very similar problem to what some churches have today. 
And hearing the stories of Pentecost with somebody speaking a foreign language, everybody else in Pentecost that did not understand Egyptian thought it was gibberish. Everybody else hearing the Gaelic tongue from what we would consider France, if that was spoken in Jerusalem at Pentecost, might think that's gibberish. So as the church in Corinth started to replicate or started to pretend or try to do their own part to replicate what happened at Pentecost, it resulted in people standing up and just jabbering, thinking that maybe they were speaking a foreign language and maybe somebody else could interpret them. And Paul said, you got a worship service that's just an incomprehensible mess. This makes no sense at all. Next week, we're going to do a whole lesson on this issue of speaking in a foreign language, the issue of speaking in tongues. I was going to do it this week. As I started to prepare, I thought, i got to do more than 15 minutes on this. So next week, chapter 14 is all about tongues. So it's, next week is spiritual gifts part two. The other problem they had was the use of other spiritual gifts. They would have someone stand up and say, I've got the gift of prophecy. God's told me Jesus Christ is coming back next month. Let's get ready. And then somebody else will stand up and say, I got the gift of prophecy. God told me that if we don't kick out all the Jews from our congregation, he's going to judge us. So let's kick out all the Jews. And Paul said, wait a minute. You got a massive problem with people wanting to have a spiritual gift, but not having the spiritual gift. And so you've got an abuse of somebody that thought they had the gift when in fact they didn't. So we're going to talk about how to avoid the non-use of spiritual gifts by knowing what they are, and we're going to talk about how to avoid the abuse of spiritual gifts. So in chapters 12 and 13, Paul tackles the question of the problems in Corinth of them either not using their gifts or abusing their gifts. And so on your outline, I describe this as understanding and properly using your spiritual gift. And what he's doing here is he's going to start by teaching on this concept of gifts. And he's going to start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, on your outline, I put verses 1 through 7. He says, now concerning what comes from the Spirit. Uh, that's supposed to be there. Sorry, there's a typo. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. That's the tightest, most concise description of gifts in all of the New Testament. And I'll break it down for you in a couple of different points. I start on your outline by describing uh, what I call the varieties. And I describe it here. I highlighted different gifts, different ministries, different activities. As we get through our list of gifts, you can see they manifest in different ways. Some are public. My gift is teaching. Mine's kind of public. Your gift might be something that is totally non-public. It might be one-on-one. -on -one. It might not even involve directly other people, but indirectly other people, like prayer. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the point is, these different gifts manifest in different ministries. With some gifts, they manifest in a children's ministry or a prison ministry or a, a widow's ministry or all kinds of different things and different activities, different ways of helping people or blessing people. But the word gifts up there in that top line, there are different gifts, is our word in Greek, charismata. And charismata is where we get our word charismatic for those that believe in a certain manifestation of gifts. I'm going to talk extensively about next week. 
But in Greek, that's an important word because keras is the Greek word for grace. And mata is the Greek word for gifts. So it's a grace gift. It is not something that you develop on your own. It is not something that you decide what your gift is. It is a gift that you don't deserve. It is a gift that you're not qualified to have. It is a gift that is simply a grace gift from God that God in his infinite wisdom says, this is the gift I'm giving to you in order to use. So it's a grace gift. So as you hear people talk about spiritual gifts, I want you to think of it as a grace gift that God gave to you with your salvation to use as long as we're here on the planet. Now, the source of this is pretty clear. It described in this own passage as what comes from the Spirit. It comes from God the Father, and he activates it in each person. Every single person has one spiritual gift. The only question is, what is yours? Now, I will say I have met a couple of people in ministry that had more than one spiritual gift. Uh, my friend, Dr. Deloach, who passed last November, my co-teacher for many years, second father, clearly had a gift of teaching. I also believe from my years with him, he had a spiritual gift of uh, encouragement that I'll explain in a couple of minutes. Uh, I had another guy that's a very, very dear friend that's currently the pastor of First Baptist Grapevine up in Dallas. Used to be on staff at Second, used to be on staff at uh, West University Baptist. Uh, a guy named Doug Page. Uh, incredibly spiritually gifted in kids ministry, uh, the best music minister I've ever heard or worked with in my whole life, and a guy that was an incredible pastor. Uh, I would substitute, and if I substituted for anybody else, I was fairly convinced I could do as good a job as them. I would substitute for Doug, and people would say, eh, not as good as Doug, thanks. <laughs> and so it's like, yep, he's gifted. He's pretty darn good teacher. So he was multi-gifted spiritually, that's rare. Most people have one. A handful of people have, or a handful of people have two or more, but most of us just have one. I think I just have one. Now that's the source. The purpose of our spiritual gift we saw at the end of that passage. It's a demonstration of the Spirit given to each person. Once again, it says twice. Everybody's got one to produce what is beneficial. Is how this translates uh, translates it. Some of your Bibles translate it what is good. The Greek word there is beneficial for others or beneficial for good. In Greek, you can add a suffix to a word and give it a meaning of love for somebody else. So in Greek, if I have a particular word like love or good, if I add one suffix, it's for me. If I add another suffix, it's for somebody else. So this particular Greek word is beneficial for others, good for others, not necessarily good for ourselves. That is important because a proper view of spiritual gifts is what are we going to do with it to use it for others? The problem of the 20th and 21st century Pentecostal movement or charismatic movement is a lot of their interpretation of gifts is purely for yourselves. 
Their interpretation is a gibberish form of language that's just them demonstrating whatever this gibberish is. Or for them, it might be a prayer language, which is just a gibberish way of pretending that you're praying to God. Or other things that are purely for the individual, and I don't think that's biblical. I think every time gifts are mentioned, it's mentioned in terms of doing it for other people. And in 1 Corinthians, it's undebatable because of chapter 13 dealing with love of other people. And we're going to end the lesson talking about that. You cannot have an internal focus on your gifts. It's got to be external. Now, let's talk about some things concerning the types of spiritual gifts. And before I do a deep dive in this, I've got to stop and I've got to talk about timing and development. And the first point is it takes time. I believe biblically it teaches when we become Christians, you get your spiritual gift. Let me apply this personally. I became a Christian at the age of nine. My Bible teaches me I got the spiritual gift of teaching at nine. Guess what? I couldn't teach anything in elementary school and middle school, right? I had to get through high school. I had to get through college. The first time anybody ever asked me to teach was in law school when I taught at my church's Bible study for all the grad students. I was so bad, I wouldn't even invite my parents to come hear me. <laughs> Right? So I've got a spiritual gift of teaching. I know with 2020 hindsight, at the time, I didn't know that. I just knew they asked me to teach, and I wasn't very good. Uh, I've been teaching most of my adult life. When I was in my late 20s and 30s teaching, I would invite my parents to come hear me, and I still was not very good. My parents would come hear me and say things like, that sure was enthusiastic, Chris. <laughs> You sure have nice people in your class, Chris, right? I still am not sure I'm very good, but if I ever got good, it wasn't until I was in my 40s. And so a spiritual gift at nine took until I was 40s until I thought it wasn't an embarrassment to the Holy Spirit. And so likewise, if someone wakes up now and says, God's convinced me my spiritual gift is teaching, don't expect Greg to let you start teaching a class with a couple hundred people in it because it takes time and it takes development. For some people, it takes seminary. For some people, it just takes a certain type of maturity and development. It doesn't mean once you recognize a gift that God's ready for you to go lead a ministry. It just means you've identified a gift and it's time to develop it. The second thing I want to comment on is the issue of giftedness versus normalcy. There are a bunch of the character traits that I'm going to describe that a lot of us have. I am highly empathic. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. I, am, uh, I lead a law firm of 200 employees and 80 lawyers. Uh, I've got leadership capabilities. Those aren't my spiritual gifts. They're just things I've learned over my adult life. It's very, very similar in application if I think about, like in my own life, basketball. Right? There is a big difference between giftedness and normalcy. Right? I've been playing ball since I was in elementary school. I played basketball more than any other sport. But at the end of the day, I'm a skinny white guy. And I can't jump high. I haven't dunked since I was in my 20s. I don't have a good three-point shot. I just like playing. Right? Giftedness is Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. Giftedness is James Harden and Steph Curry and LeBron James, right? That's giftedness. 
normalcy are, is your ability to do something and you might having a natural tendency to do something, but it's different than giftedness, right? Michael Jordan, one of my favorite ball players of all time, was born with a giftedness to play basketball. I think he's the greatest basketball player of all time, but in the ninth grade, he didn't make the high school basketball team, right? That giftedness took time to develop, even though he was born with those innate physical characteristics that mean he can play ball in a way nobody else in the history of basketball has been able to play it. So there's a difference between giftedness and normalcy, and sometimes the giftedness arises out of normalcy after a passage of time. So don't look at this with the timing question and the gifted versus normalcy question is you take a test, you figure out what's going on, and then suddenly you want to start leading a ministry, right? You want to know why somebody, you know, why Beth Moore doesn't turn her ministry over to you to run. You know, why prison fellowship in D.C. doesn't turn its reins over to you. Why Campus Crusade for Christ doesn't turn its reins over to you, right? It takes timing. It takes a development of giftedness. And we've got to have maturity. Now, next page on your outline was too big to type, or I could have done it, but it would have taken me an hour or two. And so I just replicated this from a book from a guy that I like named Bruce Black. Dr. Black uh, has a doctorate, in, a seminary doctorate from Westminster Seminary and is a pastor up in Philadelphia. He wrote a book that I like, and he gave us this chart that covers all four times Paul addresses gifts within his writings. The two middle columns are what we're studying today from 1 Corinthians, but I showed you some of the other things that are discussed so we can talk about all of them. I'm going to take a couple of minutes and walk through each of them so that you can see how they're applied so that when you take your test, if you want to later this week, you'll have some idea of what some of these things mean. They start with prophecy. There are a couple of these gifts, and I'm going to show you texts that state that those gifts have ceased. Typically, prophecy can mean one of two things, and the first thing it means is God's word about what's going to happen in the future. That gift has ceased with the closing of the New Testament. That gift was given to the, to the apostles in the apostolic age of the first century, and since then that has ceased. There is an aspect of that word that could be a telling forth. This is what God says. There are some people that would put pastors in this category in the second sense of not saying what the future is going to be, but simply telling forth, speaking forth what God's word is. That gift, uh, to the extent that's the right way to divide it, still exists. You could still have prophecy in a way of telling God's word such as God's word says this, if you don't do it, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're going to hell, okay? That's a word of prophecy. It's really just telling forth God's word. So that pastoral aspect of it still exists today. Teaching, that's the easiest one to understand. That's what I do. That's what Greg does. We teach in the, in the, in the, in the morning service. I teach in class. Teaching is simply... Uh, the ability to interpret and apply scripture. It's not about your experience. It's not about your opinion. It's not about your observations on life, although I try to apply stuff and Greg tries to apply stuff. Teaching is the interpretation and application of scripture. Next one. Uh, oops, I skipped over serving. Uh, serving. 
serving, you can put a little mark next to it and write down helps, H-E-L-P-S. If you look at the bottom of the third column, the 1 Corinthians 12, 28 column, at the very bottom it says helps. These are the same thing. They're just in different passages of Scripture. And this is practical assistance for others using their spiritual gifts. There's a whole lot of people that have this gift. In my life, I got a guy named Don Gibson. Don came to me 15 years ago, and he said, God, just showed up out of the blue. I'd never seen him before. And he says, God has told me that I need to help your ministry, your teaching ministry at this church. And then he helped me in a men's ministry I do in Sugarland. So uh, when I teach in other places, he records for me. He does my video for me. He puts it up on a website. He does all kinds of stuff to help me. And his spiritual gift is helping me in a technological sense in stuff that I just am incompetent to do. So a lot of people have help. Uh, my sister works for the executive staff here at church. She works for Doug Bischoff. She works right next to Greg. She works some with Greg. But her gift, I think, is this. She is incredibly good at helping those who are called in certain types of ministry, like Doug and Greg, do their jobs, and she loves it. It just floats her boat when she does a good job and somebody says she does a good job. So I think that's what my sister's gift is. Uh, next one on the list, exhortation. Exhortation is the spiritual gift of comforting or encouraging. Now, I think I do a really good job at this. I think it's a natural ability that I have developed over time. For me, it's not a spiritual gift. For my friend, Dr. Deloach, I believe this is a spiritual gift because I would go to a meal with him or I would be out in some other kind of social event and somebody would come up to him and he had the ability to say, you have got the most beautiful hair I have seen in a long time. Or that necklace, it just matches your eyes perfectly. And I would look at it and go, I never would have put those two together and the person he's talking to typically would start crying because it meant so much to him. So the spiritual gift is not just being the kind of person that naturally encourages or naturally comforts. It's a spiritual gift to know when someone needs that, right? By application, for those of you in here, I told you about the police officer that was behind me and I felt, you know, struggled to buy his meal and I just didn't even talk to him and didn't know who it was. I just bought his meal and he turned around and started crying and said, today's my birthday and that's the only gift. That's a manifestation of that kind of that. It's when the Holy Spirit says, this person needs something, they need comfort, they need encouragement, and you don't have any clue that they need comfort or encouragement, right? If somebody tells me they need comfort or encouragement, I got a PhD in giving that. If somebody doesn't tell me, it's like a brick wall. I'm not going to pick it up. If you've got the spiritual gift, you pick it up without them saying a single word about it. All right, number next, giving. Giving is a supernatural vision to know when and how to give. This is not simply me doing my tithe or you doing your tithe or me giving a gift to somebody because I think they need it. This is supernaturally knowing where there's a need and giving money there. The biggest guy I know of that does this is David Weekly, construction guy, philanthropist extraordinaire. This guy is the most gifted this I've ever encountered because he'll just have this movement of God in his heart that there's a need and write a check. 
or somebody can show up knowing he's philanthropic and want to ask him for $10,000 and he hears about it and prays about it and God moves and he writes a check for $100,000, right? That's the kind of spiritual gift he's got. David Weekly is very, very unique at that. The next one on your outline is giving aid. Uh, draw a line there and put mercy because mercy is another way to describe this and a number of verses I put on the next page of your outline show what the verses are for mercy but this is individual and it's uniquely empathic okay I am highly empathic my oldest son is highly empathic that means if I'm around you and you're up I'm going to be up if I'm around you and you're a downer I'm going to be a downer if I'm around you and you're crazy I'm going to get crazy right I'm highly empathic okay my wife, I think, has this spiritual gift. And the way it manifests is we're talking with somebody and we can be talking about uh, sports or jobs or kids and I'm just relating to you at a superficial level. We will step away from that conversation and my wife will say, he or she is really, really hurting. And I'm like, what? Where'd you get that? She goes, trust me, they're hurting. Call them. And so I'll call him up and I'm like, you're going to think this is crazy, but can we have lunch? Natalie thinks you're hurting, right? And they typically break down and start telling me about some catastrophic thing they never talked about, never mentioned in class, but it's a class conversation. It's a unique gift individually to ascertain someone's need for something when they otherwise do not communicate it. My wife's amazing at this. Next one, compassion. Compassion is the group form of mercy or giving to others. So this is the group form where you've got empathy at a supernatural level and you just cannot shake the fact that there is a group of people that desperately need your help. I've had people come up to me and say, there's this group of untouchables in India and I can't sleep until I do something for this group. Or there's this home over on the east side of Houston with kids in it. Until I go do something, I'm just not at peace. That's a gift that gives you an insight, emotional empathy at a group-wide level, and you're not at peace until you do something to go mow their yard, paint their fence, take them food, uh, give them money, do something to help a group of people uh, that God is calling you to deal with. Next one, healing. In the modern charismatic movement, they view this as the gift of somebody touches somebody and all of a sudden they can do what Peter, Paul, or Jesus did and they can see again and hear again. I don't take away God's ability to heal, but I don't think that's an accurate manifestation of that gift. I think the manifestation of that gift is the supernatural ability of a doctor or a counselor to diagnose somebody. For some of us, you've gone to doctors for decades trying to figure something out, and all of a sudden one doctor nails it, and that's it. I had that in my own life. I had a health condition for a year. I didn't know what it was. I finally get one doctor that I think had this spiritual gift. He knew instantaneously what I had, and I'd seen dozens of specialists all over the country, and they couldn't figure it out. This one guy had it. It's the ability to diagnose in a non-medical sense. There are good counselors, there are bad counselors, but a counselor with this spiritual gift can hear you, understand you, and diagnose you, and not just say, well, how does that make you feel, 
but actually give you a diagnosis and treatment. And that's typically the difference between a good counselor and a bad counselor. A bad counselor will just simply want to do talk therapy and let you talk until your time's up. A good counselor can say, here's what I hear. Here's what your diagnosis. Here's what we need to do. And so a good counselor actually has a spiritual gift of discerning in a medical or psychological way. Next category, working miracles. Once again, this is in the modern charismatic movement, the person that can, you know, move cars just by praying about it or, you know, something in their mind. Uh, I don't think it manifests that way. I'm highly suspect of that. I think in the biblical sense, this is something that has ceased. This is just like prophecy of foretelling the future. This was a ministry to validate the apostles, to validate Paul and Peter, to, uh, uh, to, to validate James or John or any other disciples. It was the way Jesus manifested his ministry. I believe this, this miracle or this, uh, this gift ended at the end of the apostolic era, and I'll show you scripture to support that later on. Tongues. We're going to do an entire lesson next week on that. Oops, skipped over it. The lesson of tongues. If I can get back to the right one. There we go. Tongues is speaking in a foreign language that you've never been taught. It is not gibberish. The Greek word here means languages. There's a Greek word for babble. There's a Greek word for languages. This is not the Greek word for chatter or babble. This is the Greek word for languages. And so we're going to talk about this for an entire lesson next week. Same thing on the interpretation of tongues. Uh, I think this expired in the first century. I'll explain that next week. But tongues are the interpretation of tongues, which Paul spends a whole chapter on. Uh, are, was a unique gift for a unique time. We now have the ability to speak in a whole bunch of different languages. We don't have the same need as we did in the first century. The gift of wisdom. Wisdom, knowledge, and discernment, I'm going to explain once I get down to the bottom because they're very, very similar, but they apply in different ways. Uh, wisdom is the ability to see reality as God sees it. You can have a child who's wise. You can have a PhD who is not wise, okay? It's not knowledge. It's wisdom, which is the ability to see reality the way God sees it in a spiritual, in, in a uniquely gifted way. I think because of my biblical background and my family background, I have more wisdom than the average bear, but I don't have the spiritual gift of wisdom because I see things in an elementary biblical way. I have friends who I do think have this gift that just are jaw-dropping at their ability to see reality the way God sees it that I typically can't because I'm too limited by, by my humanity. Knowledge, our next little subject here, if I can get it right, Knowledge is the gift to understand God's truths and apply it to ministry. Because I'm a teacher, I have the ability to understand God's truths. But the spiritual gift of this is a shocking level of being able to understand God's truths and then apply it to a ministry. So it's not get a seminary degree and you've got a smart level of knowledge. It's something supernatural that even a child could have to take God's truths and then apply it in a specific way. I'll apply this in just a few minutes. Our next subject here that we're going to skip over is faith. 
All of us have some degree of faith or we wouldn't be here. The gift of faith is the gift of vision of what God can do and will do. So faith is a gift of vision above and beyond our belief in something. It's a vision of what God can do and will do. Discernment, our final category here, is judging. I can judge. I've got discernment on employment issues. I've got discernment on financial issues. This is different than that. This is a spiritual, unique ability to judge which way wisdom and knowledge and faith are leading you, and it's the person that says, here's the fork in the road, here's the way we need to go. I've judged this the right way to go. Now, let me apply these three because those sound really, really similar. And let me apply it like this. I serve right now as the president of the board of directors of KSBJ. If you don't know what KSBJ is, it's Houston's Contemporary Christian Radio Station. Uh, it's the largest Christian radio individual station in the world. We've got a million listeners every single day. Uh, it's shocking what a great ministry it is. A couple of years ago, two, three years ago, uh, somebody on the staff has the spiritual gift of faith. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. That person says, I believe God is calling us to start a brand new radio station, leave KSBJ, but have a brand new radio station doing Christian hip hop and rap. The, I'm the youngest guy on the board of directors at 53. Right? Everybody else on the board of directors doesn't know what hip-hop is. They don't know what rap is. And if they heard it, they would think it's the devil's music, not anything from God. Right? But somebody on staff said, I've got faith that God's calling us to do this. And if we do it, I believe God's going to bless it. Everybody else on the board's like, you're crazy. Okay? But this person had that belief. We started having board meetings about this. We intentionally put people on our board that have different gifts. So we've got people with each of these gifts, and somebody else on the board says, wait a minute. The criticism you guys have of this is KSBJ is listener-supported. We don't run commercials. Everything we do is commercial is listener-driven. And people would look at this and go, wait a minute. A hip-hop rap Christian station to teenagers is never going to have anybody that gives anything other than baseball cards and bubble gum, and we can't run a multi-million dollar station on that. The gift of wisdom would look at that and say, wait a minute, isn't this just like a church youth ministry? Your J High department and your high school ministry does not pay for itself. How do we pay for it? The parents of those kids give to the church, and that's how we do it. And everybody else on the board goes, wow, that was wise. That's the spiritual gift of wisdom. Then we said, wait a minute, we don't have any way to do this. We don't have another station, and we're not going to turn we call the mothership, KSBJ, with a million listeners, into a rap and hip-hop station. We're not doing that. So somebody else says, wait a minute, I think there's another station in town that is in such financial straits, they are desperate to sell. God has laid it on my heart that there's a station that wants to be sold and they're another non-commercial station. If you'll let me do some due diligence, I think I can find it. Within 24 hours, he figured out that the NPR, NPR station was broke and desperate to sell, right? So that was knowledge. Then discernment was our chairman of the board, Harvey Brown, my dear friend, judge. He's taught for me in here. A number of y'all know him. He's got the gift of discernment. 
he could hear the faith, he could see the vision, he could hear the wisdom, he knew KPFT was available and we could buy it for a couple of million bucks. And after a whole lot of prayer, Harvey said, I judge this the right thing to do, even though I don't like rap and I don't like hip hop. And he put us in that direction. And now a quarter of a million people a day listen to it. And on a weekly basis, we get letters and emails and texts saying things like, I was going to commit suicide last night until I heard Injin and heard that song. I was caught by the rap, but then I started listening to the lyrics and it's why I'm still alive today. Thank you. And I literally could stand up here for hours and tell you stories about this for music that I don't particularly like, but I supported the decision and I watched these spiritual gifts work out in that decision. And I thought if all of us just apply our business acumen to this, we're not doing it. You apply spiritual gifts to that and see where God wants to take it and you start doing things that transcend your acumen to make decisions. So that's how that plays out. Uh, apostleship. Once again, uh, I think has uh, no longer exists. Oops, I jumped over it. Uh, I don't think apostleship uh, exists. I think that was a gift for the people that saw Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter, Paul, James, John, the other disciples. I don't think that exists anymore. It did at the time Paul was writing. Uh, the gift of helps we've already talked about. The gifts of administration is a spiritual gift of leadership to lead a ministry. This is Butch's gift, I believe. I think he's incredibly gifted at his leadership here and what he does. It doesn't mean just simply the willingness to grab the reins. It means somebody that says they have a vision for the future for the ministry. Butch will say, I've got a vision if we have lunch that people will come after class and get to know each other outside of class. That's Butch's leadership vision. Butch was saying, Chris keeps talking about prayer. We're not praying. I'm going to lead us to have a time to make sure it works, to make sure everybody can call in, and I'm going to lead the prayer time. That's the evidence of somebody exercising more than leadership. It's having a spiritual vision of how to lead in ministry and then doing it in a way that people follow. If you try to lead and nobody follows, you don't have a spiritual gift. You lead and people follow, you can look at it and say that's a spiritual gift. Butch, in my mind, has that spiritual gift. Then, oh, thank you, Butch. Um, Evangelism. Evangelism is unique. It's somebody that's called and uniquely gifted to give God's word of salvation to the masses. This is Billy Graham. This is uh, uh, D.L. Moody. This is, you know, all the great evangelists from the 19th and 20th century uh, that you've seen on TV. And it's not the rest of us because it's a very unique and, and uh, special gift. And then shepherding, some people also put into pastoring, but shepherding is the ability to feed the flock. Feed the flock emotionally, feed the flock in a ministerial way. This could include pastoring. This literally could include bringing pastries to us. We have a member of our class that's a master chef baker, and sometimes he brings gifts to us to class. Uh, that's the gift of shepherding if you bring food to somebody. Uh, when my mom had her knee surgery and couldn't cook for a couple of weeks, those of you who brought gifts to her, some of you are spiritually gifted in this way of shepherding, which is by nurturing, feeding the flock when you know someone in the flock is struggling and some needs some help. So it's not just pastoring, it can be different things. Now, if you turn the page, I've identified some other things that scripture indicates are gifts. Uh, the gift of hospitality is not the ability to throw a great party. Uh, 
It's the ability to minister to people by being hospitable to them. My grandmother, my maternal grandmother had this gift. She had the most amazing gift of hospitality. And the reason I knew it was a spiritual gift is because people showed up on her door uninvited. They were hurting. So it'd be a family member or a friend and they would literally just show up with their suitcases because they needed to spend a couple of days and my grandmother and her hospitality brought them in, loved on them, talked to them, laughed with them, cried with them. And I knew it was a spiritual gift because God was calling people to her. And she would have a house full of people with zero invitations being given. And it was jaw-dropping because I would typically spend, as a kid, my entire summers out there. And I'd wake up going, who's showing up today? And some stranger would show up and my grandmother would act like the invitation had been out for a month. What took them so long to get there? They were uninvited, but it was God calling them. My grandmother reacting. It just blew my mind as a kid. Mercy we've already talked about. Pastor, I think is a distinct call separate and apart from being a shepherd. I talk to guys once a month that come to me that are emotionally moved in the service and think God's calling them to be a pastor. The test for a pastor is, can you live life and you're not miserable not being a pastor, if you follow the double negative? And in other words, every day when you're not a pastor, do you wake up in a state other than misery that you're not a pastor? If the answer is yes, you're not called to be a pastor. If you wake up every, every day miserable and aching because you're not pursuing a pastorate, then we can talk about whether you got that gift. So once again, it's a very rare gift. My dad, if you get his testimony was a pastor for many, many, many years. He will tell you now with hindsight, his father called him to be a pastor. God did not call him to be a pastor. My father's spiritual gift is teaching. My dad, I think, has a second spiritual gift in writing and education type things, but I think clearly he's a teacher. But the fact he held the role of pastor didn't mean that was a spiritual gift. It was just simply a job he got. Intercessory prayer. Uh, Carol in our class, I believe, has this spiritual gift. Not because she stood up and said, I'm going to pray today. Don't y'all think I'm good? But other people hear her. And if you notice the way she prays, it's different than the way all the rest of us pray. Because when she prays, she speaks to God in his language, which is his word. When Carol prays, she prays scripture. 99.9% .9 of the people don't pray scripture. When I hear somebody pray scripture, to me, that's a validation. That's their spiritual gift. Carol's very good at it. Uh, celibacy, incredibly rare. Uh, some people would call this the gift of singleness. By definition, this is the lack of frustration over the lack of fulfillment of sexual desire. It is incredibly rare. In my 50 years plus of living, I've known a handful of people, I could count them on one hand and have multiple fingers left over. Right? In my whole life, I've met like two, maybe three people that this would apply to. And because I didn't do a deep psychological dive into their sexual makeup, I don't know the ultimate answers to this, but, but, but biblically, it is somebody that, that does not have frustration at the lack of sexual fulfillment or sexual relationships. So it is incredibly rare. It's mentioned in scripture, so I just throw it here for the purpose of completeness. Now, I'm not in the interest of time going to go through our remaining passages. You can look at them. I'll pop them up on the board real quick. But our next point in the outline is that they are unified but diversified. 
verses, oops, where am I? Verses 12 through 19 uh, talk about we're all made to drink of one spirit. It's talking about the body with all of its different parts. It means that all of our gifts, whether it's hospitality or prayer or teaching or whatever, they're all diversified, but they're unified in the body of Christ or unified within a church. I next then put on your outline the next passage of Scripture, 20 through 31, about God has placed each one of them just as he wanted. So we are supposed to be interdependent upon each other, not independent. The problem of spiritual gift is, gifts is that somebody pops up and they want something else, right? Somebody's spiritual gift may be administration or discernment, and they desperately want the spiritual gift of teaching, right? They want to lead the orchestra, not play the second violin, right? They want to be first violin, not third percussion, right? They want a different job. They want a different position. And, and we got to realize God gifted us. The question is, what am I going to do with my giftedness? I'm not supposed to covet somebody else's gift. Now, once you get through the end of chapter 12, he then transitions, and a lot of people treat chapter 13 all by itself. And they treat chapter 13 as being the greatest chapter for reading at a wedding that's ever been written in Scripture, because it's all about love. If we took a survey, I'd be willing to bet the majority of this class had some part of this read at their wedding, right? It's the love chapter, and everyone thinks it's relational. It can be applied relationally, but contextually, this is all about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 is spiritual gifts. Chapters 14 is spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is not marriage, right? There's no chapters when Paul wrote. He writes a letter. 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts. So the love chapter is all about other people and how we view our gifts. So this whole idea of the preeminence of love when it starts talking about these things, he basically puts it in the context, if someone's going to speak in tongues, but they don't have love, it's just noise. If they're going to speak in prophecy and they don't have love, it's worthless. If they've got faith, but they don't have love, it's worthless. And so he says, the preeminence of love is using your gift because you care for other people. It has nothing to do with you. It's about expressing your gift and learning your gift and using your gift so you can help other people. With that background, he then gives what I call the pattern of love, which is all those things we want to beat our spouse over the head with for not having. Right? Right? We love to tell our spouse, you're not being fill in the blank. Right? It's not about marriage. It's about gift. So if I apply this to my gift that I believe of teaching, then I can say it's patience. So if you don't get it, I'm supposed to be patient with you and teach it again. I got to be kind. I can't be jealous of somebody else's gift. I'm never going to brag about my gift. I'm not going to be arrogant about my gift. I'm not seeking my own. There's nothing I want in teaching. I'd rather be doing something else, quite frankly. It's not provoked. It's not accounting for wrong. It's all of these things as applied to our gift. The point is, whatever your gift is, it's for building up the body of Christ or it's for building up those outside the body of Christ to lead them to Christ. 
The whole point of the love chapter is properly using your gifts for other people. I can teach to non-believers, but because I like to teach Bible, that's for believers. They want to hear Bible. I teach non-believers all the time, but I teach law stuff. I teach insurance stuff. I teach trial stuff. I don't stand up in front of one of those audiences and says, okay, let's look at John chapter 1. Right? They're going to get up and leave. But if I get a group of believers and I say John chapter 1, they're like, ah, one of my favorites. Let's go. Right? That's the gift of teaching. So whatever your gift is, whether it's in the church or outside the church, it's other-focused. It's not relational. It's other-focused. And then the permanence of love we see at the very, very end. Oops, permanence of love. And the permanence of love tells us, as for prophecies, they're coming to an end. As for tongues, they're coming to an end. As for certain types of knowledge, they're coming to an end. But the three things that are staying forever, faith, hope, and love, is a reference to the application of our gifts. I've got faith, God gave me the right gift. I don't live life going, God, you made a mistake with me. How about gift number two? I'm ready for it. I got hope that God's going to do something with my gift, even though I don't see results. Right? I can exercise my gift and have exercised my gift, and I get criticism. I get people that say, you shouldn't be teaching. On a monthly basis, there are people in our church that will go to Greg and say, Chris Martin shouldn't be teaching. And Greg's like, okay, thank you. Uh, and love. It's got to be exercised for other people. And so all of those things give us the future focus of our gifts, saying even if I don't understand it, even if I think God didn't get my gift right, I'm moving forward in faith, hope, and love for the benefit of other people. Now, I saved a few minutes. Let's apply it. i got to make three comments about this test I want you to take. Number one, timing. Just because you take a test and it doesn't show one dominant gift, it's just like me taking this test when I would have been in high school. right? In high school, I'm getting totally different results. The test I'm going to have y'all take, I took, and it may come as a surprise to you, but there was a 100% certainty my gift was teaching, right? That's different if I'm in my teenage years or 20s. It's going to be different for you because I've done a lifetime of developing my gift, so it's going to give a different answer today than it did in the past. So timing you got to be careful about. Number two, it's about God's giftedness, not your natural abilities, I'm not a good teacher, absent God's intervention, because I don't think I'm that smart. I don't think that I'm insightful. I don't think I have that much to say. So when I taught when I was younger, I didn't get good reactions to it. It took a lot of God pouring into me and a lot of training, a lot of education before I got to the point of teaching. So it's about God gifting me, not our natural ability. So when you take a modern test today, you got to have some flexibility with it because a lot of it is testing your current desires or leanings or current abilities. Number three, it's validated by the body of Christ, not a test giver. I know my father has the gift of teaching because I've heard him teach my whole life and he's amazing at it. I know Carol has a spiritual gift of prayer because I've heard her pray. The body validates the gifts. It's not a particular test taker. So because a particular test may show you've got a propensity in a couple of areas, it's just simply to help start you uh, moving in a certain direction, testing certain things, looking at certain things. As you saw, Paul's got multiple chapters dealing with gifts. 
when we come to those other books, we're going to do a deeper dive on what do you do with your gift testing uh, if it shows a multitude of things or you're not sure how this plays out. When you take your test, you've got the ability at the very end to write my email in and share your results with me, and I can talk with you about things to do in light of your test scores. The test I recommend you take is called freeshapetest.com. I like it because it was created by the pastoral staff at Shadowback Church in Orange County, California. It's Rick Warren's church. Rick, Saddleback. I said Saddleback. Sorry, Shadowback. Saddleback. It's Rick Warren's church. So Rick did not write this, but his senior staff did. If you're there, they make everybody take this that is in leadership of uh, ministry or a class or something like that. Uh, I took this this week. It took about 30 minutes. Uh, it's got a bunch of questions. It's got some fill in the blanks. Uh, do it at a computer rather than a cell phone. It works a little bit easier. And uh, it, there, there are multiple out there. This is one of the best ones out there, and I really liked it. You've got the ability to put my email or somebody's email address in. You're welcome to use mine. I don't get all the details of your answers, but I get a summary that says these are her, his or her, you know, top three areas. Here's are some things you may want to talk to them about. So I don't get the insight in what you share privately, but I get some summaries that I might be able to say, let's pray about this, let's talk about this, let's think about you serving in this area. And it's simply to give you ideas for how to pray and how to look at your next step. It's not going to say you need to be doing children's ministry. It's going to say you need to be doing things that emphasize these areas and then you and I can talk or you can talk with somebody else in your friends group and talk about how that manifests because some of you it might be something like a prison ministry. For some of you it may be just praying. For some of you it may be helping in some other kind of ministry. There's all kinds of different gifts, all kinds of different applications. But next week we're going to talk about tongues. In subsequent lessons we're going to talk about uh, using our spiritual gifts if there's uncertainty over what our gift is. And my ultimate goal is, fast forward six months to a year, we could go around this classroom and almost everyone has something that you're plugged into or someone that you're plugged into, and you can talk about the ministry that you're doing one-on-one -on -one or small group or big group that's God blessing your use of your spiritual gifts. So next week, it's all about tongues. If you've been interested or entertained by the charismatic movement and speaking in tongues, or you yourself think you speak in tongues, come next week and we'll talk about it. It'll be a good lesson. And it's so important in our culture. We're going to do a whole lesson on it. The following week, we're going to do a lesson on apologetics. The reason Paul was a Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's probably my favorite chapter in the whole Bible because of how much I like apologetics. So you're going to love it in two weeks. But next week we're going to do tongues. Following week, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, on the evidence of our faith. If you got questions, uh, grab me or my dad after class and uh, we'll talk with you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come and learn about spiritual gifts. We pray, Father, this week that you would give us a heart of understanding a desire to know what our spiritual gift is, a desire and motivation to use our spiritual gift because you put a love into our heart that does not get, live there, a, a love for other people, an ache to help other people, an ache to be of service to other people, to be your hands, your feet, your eyes, your hands for other people that so desperately need you. 
and all they've got is us with you in our hearts. Father, we pray that you'd make us instruments of your ministry and instruments of your will in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See y'all next week. This has been a presentation of the Biblical Foundations Bible Study, online at biblicalfoundationsbiblestudy.com. All rights reserved.